Hi, everyone. This is Genevieve Pituro. I am on with Rick, and we're going to talk about everything from listening to your heart voice and the question that I want everyone to ask themselves about what their lives are like and see if we can get some aha moments and some talk about finding your purpose. Let's go. You're listening to Rick Flynn. With a shout out from London Town, it's Rick Flynn Presents... Now, ladies and gentlemen, your MC for the affair, Rick Flynn. Jen Paturo, hi, how are you doing? It is an honor to have you on this program. God bless you. Thank you for coming in. You're a delight to have, all the way from New York City. Hi, Rick. I am delighted to be here. Thank you for this invitation. I guess the question to ask really is, is there any media outlet at all that has not covered this story? Boy, this has been worldwide. Oh, well, thank you. It's it's a beautiful story. Story about human connection. So I'm just proud to be able to tell it. Boy, that is the absolute truth. You were in the same basic business as I am in the field, not really a broadcasting your own show, I guess, but you promoted others. You promoted syndicated programs in your business career in the Big Apple, New York, right? Yes. Yes. I was on the, I was VP marketing for several syndication companies for the region runs that would air and most popular shows that we all watched that I watched as a kid. Right. I'll bet you, I don't know if you had anything to do with it, but today we still in my home, and I mean this very seriously, we love uh, Andy Griffith. (laughs) Yes, I know. I watch it too, and so does my mom. Right. And of course, I'll tell you who else is doing well in syndication. Hee Haw, they say, is doing well. And also Lawrence Welk. I didn't know Lawrence Welk was in syndication. Wow. Yes, we're still watching it every now and then at home. We see it, I believe, weekly. It may be on, I think it's on public PBS, if I'm not mistaken. If not, maybe it's in syndication. Excuse me if I'm wrong, but have you ever watched it? And do you like that? show. I did. I watched it as a, as a young child because my grandmother loved Lawrence Welk. So she put it on and I'd sit and watch with her. Right. So basically if a show is good and we're not going to belabor the point here, we're going to move forward. That's not why I brought you on the show. We have a lot more to talk about. Don't they produce programs which are only intended for syndication from the time they're created? They always have that in mind. Always have that in mind. So I know things have changed in the last 20 plus years that I've been in syndication. Um, And it was pretty new when I was there. And it was a big hit, of course. So I wouldn't be surprised if they are making shows just for syndication now. Right. I'm sure they are. But ladies and gentlemen, we want you to ask yourself this question because this is a crucial part of why I have brought Jen on the program today. Because this is the question which she asked herself, and I quote, if this 
Is the next 30 years of my life, is this enough? And Jen, in 2001, what happened to you regarding this question? It took seconds to hear my answer to myself. That was no. (laughs) It didn't take a long time, did it? No, and I was shocked. But your career working in television syndication with all of these shows, promoting them, was actually a very successful career, was it not? It was, and I and I loved it. I have to say, I really loved it. It's what I wanted to do from a young age, and I thought, you know, that was that was it. That was everything. And you did that for twenty years. I I almost I did about twelve, thirteen years of that. Yes. Okay. And you were, I, I imagine, it's fair to say, you made a very decent living doing it, and um, you did a good job at it. Yes, to both. <laughs> right, right. I believe that. And then one day something hit you and you ask yourself the aforementioned question. And when it came time to think about the next 30 years of your life, you said, no, this is not enough. What was lacking? You know, I, it took me another few minutes to realize that the traditional Italian family that I was raised in always put so much emphasis on family and children. And that to me was not where I wanted to go. I wanted that career. So all of a sudden, when I had that question in me, I realized that there were, weren't children filling what was that hole in my heart. And so I wanted to find a way to bring children into my life. Right. And you, much like myself, made a decision in life to where you elected by choice not to have children and not for any other reason other than the fact that your life might have been and probably was full of other activity. And one day you woke up and it hit you and there was a void in your life. And you decided that even though you have no children of your own, you will step forward and go to, I guess it would be fair to call it another level. And hence your book and hence your nonprofit charity and everything which we're going to get into to. And boy, did that change your life forever, didn't it? Oh, yes. In in a bigger way than I could have ever imagined. Oh, I can imagine that. I watched your appearance last night on Oprah on her TV show. And I must be honest and say, I had tears in my eyes for what you have done. Uh, First of all, how did it even happen that Oprah accepted you when she has, I'm sure, hundreds of of thousands of requests to get on her program for you to be on there. And she did a wonderful job in promotion of what you did. How did that all occur? If you could summarize it very quickly. Sure. Well, um, in on a quiet afternoon, sitting in what was our reading center at the time, I got a call from one of her producers who asked me if I had a few minutes to talk to her. She was from the Oprah Winfrey show. And as you can imagine, I had to contain myself and say, sure, Sure, I have some time to talk. And it turned out people were calling and writing in about this woman bringing pajamas to shelters and they wanted to know more. So that was, it was a shock. The whole thing was a shock. You knew nothing about the fact that they 
were going to be calling you. I, I, I just, I, I can't believe that I was able to keep my myself still and answer like a semi-intelligent woman. You know, I mean, you don't get a call from Oprah, you know, or her producer often, but I was able to to answer the questions. And one thing led to another, and they and they said we'd like to invite you to come to the show. That is absolutely incredible, and I would like to recommend to anyone that is listening right now when you're done listening to this program if you would like more information you would like to see jen paturo on oprah's show it's up there on youtube for anybody to see you've linked to that on your website which is genevievepaturo.com and it is something i would recommend everyone should see you probably watch it from time to time still don't you i do boy you should because you should be very proud of that but what basically your story is if i can just get you started you as you said had a a void within you internally and you ask yourself the 30 years question the answer was immediately no so then the i guess is it the first thing you did or one of the first things you did in an effort to change that feeling within you, you began working at just donating your time at a homeless shelter. Yes. I When I was sitting there thinking about children and how to bring them in, my mind went to a recent news clip about a police who took children out of um, a, a horrible, what was supposedly a home setting, to a shelter for safety. And I, I remember that was recently. So I thought maybe I could find out where these children go and go and do something, help, or maybe in the evening read a story to them. And that's what I did. I called the police and they gave me the numbers of the emergency shelters in my area. Right. Now, a librarian, for example, in the elementary schools for the children, a librarian will often, with the cooperation of the teachers there in the grammar school, they'll set up an appointment every week at on this day, at this time, the teacher will bring the very young children and often just deposit them there in the care of the librarian so that the teacher can accomplish other work like grading papers or whatever. But that librarian will proceed to tell stories to the kids. Is that basically what you volunteered to do? Yeah, I I didn't know what to expect, but I offered to read stories in the evening. And um, they thought that would be really, you know, really nice because the children were afraid and it was a new surrounding and they had to do the paperwork to find out what to be the next step for these children. So I was I was going to be reading stories to them. Yeah, me and, and whoever was there, the little kids. So the children, would they sit and gather around like in a half circle with all of them there in, in their chairs or on the floor and you would be kind of in the center and you would have the book in your hand and read it and they were spellbound. They were captivated by the story. Is this basically what was going on? Yes, but the children weren't necessarily spellbound and captivated 
activated because they were afraid. They These were children who were torn out of wherever they'd been living in a new place. It wasn't comfortable. They were afraid. They weren't with anyone they knew. So they would, would stare at me. Some of them were crying. They'd look around. So it wasn't as comforting or safe to them. And I got that quickly, I could tell. So these children were many of whom, I'm going to guess, they were recently removed from their home environment, right? Yes, they were. And the home environment uh, would be such to where I'm going to logically assume they really needed to be removed from it. It was not good. You're right. It was, it was in some cases a lot worse than not good, as you can imagine, because we've all seen and read about those cases. And you would think that by being up there telling the story, it would make you happy. Wow, I'm putting smiles on their faces. Wow, they're loving the stories. They're enjoying these books. But actually, you would look out at the students and what would you see? Yes, you are absolutely right. When I was on my way over, I did think, you know, very naively that this would be fun or nice, you know, and comforting, but they were far, you know, too far too traumatized. So I was surprised, you know, and then, like I say, I'm so embarrassed by having to say that, but I, you know, it took me, took me a minute to really the reality to sink in. And so I wasn't anymore, wasn't interested in a party atmosphere for them. I was interested in more of a, an intimate setting where I could do whatever I could to make them feel um, that I cared about them and to look at them in the eyes and, you know, try to, you know, say a few words and just try to be a little more loving and gentle because of where they were coming from. Is it fair to say, Jen, that what you were attempting to do was perhaps build some trust with all of the kids. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that was never something they could count on. There was no one they could count on. And, you know, later on when I started doing um, what I what I started doing, bringing them pajamas and books, I never wanted to miss an opportunity because I, I someone had said to me, so many adults have um, disappointed them. And I remember those words and I said, never me. I never want to disappoint them. From the first time that you appeared there at the library. No, this, this was not at the library. Library. The, you read these stories where? I, met, I read them in the different shelters, the emergency shelters in New York City for the first ones. Oh, you would physically appear at the shelters yes. where where the children were, were at the time living. Yes. From the time you appeared at shelter number one and read story number one, when was the first time you looked out and you saw a child cry? Oh, the first day. The first I mean, they, day. They were crying. Yes, this was new to them. They were afraid. They didn't know what they were doing there, and, and they didn't know who I was. They didn't know what was going to happen next. Yeah, they were afraid. They were af- were they afraid of Jen, or were they afraid of just the whole lifestyle that they were in? Yeah, the whole new place they were in, what was going to happen next. Certainly, um, from the, I'm sure they were carrying awful feelings from what happened to bring them there. I can't imagine. I, I mean, I could certainly we can all imagine, but I don't, I don't know how they, they could have survived up to that point without feeling afraid and hurt. Now, every week 
when you would appear? Would new students appear there as well? New inductees, if I could use that word. Yes, almost every time, because these were emergency shelters just for the intake and then just to decide per case what was best for the child. So in the early days when those emergency shelters were my primary visiting places, they were there for once. My, did you ever, while doing that, receive in your heart the prior to the books and pajamas program, which we're going to get to. But prior to that, when you're just reading them the stories, getting started with this part, this mission that you have now of your life, for your life, did you ever, do you feel, achieve the the ability to get every one of them to trust you? Or was there always the doubting Thomas out there? Oh, there, there was always, there were always children who were afraid. And, and that's why the, the whole pajama program program came into fruition, they were afraid. They were afraid to take things. They were afraid to get close to me. They were afraid to talk to me. Uh, not all of them, but a lot of them. A lot of them. They were just they were just afraid of anything and anybody new. Right. Oh my, oh my. And here's what you say. You say, and I quote, I'm all about purpose and the human connection. A purpose coach consultant, nonprofit founder of Pajama Program. You're an author and you're an international speaker. The ability for you to bring pajamas into this happened accidentally. And why don't you describe that to our listeners? You're right. It did. I was reading stories and I was really having emotional feelings that I never had before because first there were these children and I have a godsons and nephews and a niece and I loved them to death. And these were obviously more vulnerable, more frightened children. So I had deep feelings for them. And I saw where they were bringing them after I read into a room to go to sleep in. And they were huddling together on futons or single mattresses or cots and crying. And I, they were wearing the same clothes, which were for the most part soiled or very tight. You know, they, they, didn't, they didn't fit. I don't know how long they were wearing the clothes too long. And I saw visions in my mind of my mom at my bed and my sister's bed, and my brother's bed. There were four of us kids and the bedtime ritual that made us just so feel so full of love for her. And we felt her love. And there were cookies and milk and story after story and giggles and, you know, don't let the bed bugs bite and tucking in and of course pajamas. And when I saw these children, the way they were going to sleep, what came out of my mouth to one of the staff were, can I bring some pajamas next time? I don't know to this day why that stood out. I could have said, can I bring cookies and milk? But I, I guess I registered that my bedtime with pajamas was cozy and warm and sort of represented my mother's feelings for us. And when the staff said that would be lovely, no one ever thinks of that. I had my, you know, my week cut out and, and that's what I did. I shopped and shopped and shopped and I didn't want any child to be left out with the wrong size or anything. So I showed up with a, a lot of pajamas and books and I read. And at the end of reading, I asked if I could hand out the pajamas and one of the staff helped me. And one by one, we pulled a pair that would fit the child and each child was getting a pair. And there was a little girl and I went over to give her a pair of pink pajamas and she was afraid. She was one of those who backed away from me. And 
I, I was concerned. I tried again gently and she kept saying no and she kept not uh, shaking her head no and backing up. And I didn't want to push, but I was really concerned because they, they would have fit her and I, and I know what she was wearing wasn't really appropriate. And finally, she, after watching me give them to all the children, I went over again and I tried with the same pair of pink pajamas and I told her that... I, I thought these would be nice because she likes pink because they're in her blouse and her top and that they would fit her, that she could keep them because I thought maybe she thought she'd have to give them back. And I gently had her touch the sleeve and how soft it would be. And she leaned in and, and she asked me, what are pajamas? And she could hardly say the word. And that's when I was just floored. I was floored that a, a child would ask, what are pajamas? Wouldn't even know how to say the word pajamas. And that's that's when everything in my brain just sort of exploded. And I, I couldn't stop thinking of her. And, and that was the beginning of the pajama piece and why it's called Pajama Program. That would have been the pivotal moment, if you don't mind my using that expression. That's where you said, I think I'm on to something here with these pajamas, right? Yeah. I mean, I didn't even have time to say, I think I'm onto something. I was just panicked and obsessed. I just, I just couldn't imagine how many more children like her never had pajamas, even if the ones that were there that night didn't ask me, did they even know what they were? So I, I just was obsessed. And for, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks, I thought of nothing um, about my, my job and, you know, that the whole story of losing the passion for that. And, you know, was it, was it going to get fired or was it going to quit? <laughs> but it was all because of, you know, to this day, I carry that little girl's voice in my ear. The mission you saw in front of you right then and there, as far as you were concerned mentally, that exceeded the mission that you had to promote syndicated television shows. Absolutely. Absolutely. I couldn't get anything in my mind. It was all it was all full of the little girl in pajamas and all the faces of the kids I had seen up to that point. Okay. Now, prior to giving the little girl the pajamas, let's say she would have never have received them. All right. Let's use that example. Where was the girl? What was she sleeping in at the time? Was she sleeping overnight in the soiled clothes you just described earlier? Yes. Yes. Most Did of she them, have a bed? Yeah. Um, each, I don't know about other places where I was. She was safe. They were safe and their staff were lovely. I'm sure most of the staff are lovely, but it's an overwhelming um, job for these staff people. And you never know how many children will arrive. And so they're sharing places to sleep in. Some are huddled. Um, whatever clothes they had would either, they didn't have enough or they wouldn't fit the children, but they certainly weren't new. All the pajamas that I brought were new. I wanted them to have something new just for them. So I don't know how they would, how most of them went to sleep other than what I saw in a few places. Now, when you decided to initially bring the first bunch of pajamas to the students, you, you went out and you financed this out of your own pocket. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Got into a lot of debt. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, I can believe that. And you made sure every one of the kids had some that fit them and you would not accept used. Everyone had brand new. Correct. Oh, and that's what Oprah said on her show. Now, if you're going to help us out, I don't want near your used pajamas. <laughs> I don't want that's any right. stained right, pajamas. Right. Jelly and jam all over, right? Right. No jelly, no jam. <laughs> I want right, right, new right. pajamas. 
Right. <laughs> I am telling you what, I worked in radio with a young man that worked in a city, as you're aware, called Baltimore. And in Baltimore, I swear to you, Jen, he worked as a television director with an unknown, totally unknown gal whose name was Oprah Winfrey. Wow. I tell you, I hear his story and it is just fascinating because she left Baltimore when one of her workmates, a female, got hired as a producer in Chicago for a program called Dialing for Dollars. The hosts of Dialing for Dollars, I believe, if I'm not mistaken, it was a husband and wife team or a male and female. I think they might have been married. But anyway, something happened. There was a dispute. They both quit. They're gone. They're out. And they went to the producer, the gal, and said, is there anybody you know that we could bring in that you believe in your heart could host the show? And she said, yes, there is. There's this lady in Baltimore. And then pretty soon the rest was history. And it was an amazing show because what happened is exactly a half hour up the road from where I'm talking to you right now. One half hour northbound. We had a gentleman up there named Phil Donahue and his program went national, as you know, called Donahue. And within a very short period of time, extremely short period of time, this unknown gal in Chicago, just having arrived there from Baltimore, was out Rating Donahue. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And they said, uh-oh, oh, we got something here. We better put this out national and not worry about doing a local show. We have more than a local show on our hands. And Oprah brought you on that program. It was out of Chicago, right? Yes. And she said, by surprise, you did not know this. She said when she brought you up, she had a studio audience of, I'm going to guess, what, 200, 250, 300? What do you think? Yeah, it was between 350 and 400, yes. She surprised you. And she said, Jen, we have called every member of this audience (laughs) before they got here. They called them at home, knowing that they were coming to visit. And what did Oprah tell her, the the audience? Um, she, She and the producers told each person a little bit about my story and that they were being asked to bring as many pajamas as they could, but they could only personally buy one pair. They had to reach out and see who else in their community would donate. And the response, as you can see when you watch, is overwhelming. The length that some of these studio audience members went to was unbelievable, extraordinary. And the final number, I'm not going to spoil it, everyone can watch, is just it's just an amazing visual. It's an amazing, amazing visual, the way the show was put together. And that's the type of person that Oprah was and is. And that is why, in my book, the woman can do no wrong. Because even Oprah said, I'm not going to force everyone to, you know, to do what others would do. And come on, let's spring. I want everybody out there to buy a hundred pairs of pajamas out of your own pocket. Oh. Oh, please. She said, you buy one and see if you can get someone else to help you. I only want the audience member to buy.
buy one out of your own pocket. And boy, did some of them go to extremes. And they did come up and produce numbers which were shocking. But yet, if I can move beyond that, since that appearance on Oprah, those numbers that Oprah quoted on her show, which were phenomenal, I thought they were great. They have been dwarfed since then. Am, am, am I right? <laughs> yes, yes. But we would never have gotten to those unbelievable numbers without her. But yeah, yeah. It, it, wonderful things followed that. Boy, isn't that. Were you just, I mean, to see what happened after that. My question to you, ma'am, is I had visions in my head of visiting Genevieve at her home. And you'd say, hi, Rick, come on in. And I'd walk in and there'd be a little path pathway. And to my <laughs> left would be boxes of pajamas. To my right would be boxes of pajamas. There'd be nowhere in the whole home that one could go except maybe to the dining room table to sit down. And I'd look at the walls and the windows would be covered with boxes of pajamas. Where in the world did you keep all of these pajamas? Well, you know what happened? What you're describing happened when we were in Parenting Magazine right after 9-11. They came to my home. This one, there were way more. You can as you remember seeing on Oprah's show. And I was afraid. I was afraid, we all were, of where she wanted to send these pajamas. And when the plane landed back in New York, I had a message from the producer on my phone that said, we realize this is an overwhelming task for you to find a place for, for us to send these that you can work with. Why don't you give us the list of the children's homes that are next to receive them from you and we will send them to each and every one of those groups and that's what they did so another miracle another miracle that has oprah's name on it another way to define her generosity her love her you know spirit of just helping they did that for us and it was it was amazing amazing and all of those places called and they were we're never throwing away the box it says it says you know oprah and harpo on the box we're never throwing it away <laughs> harpo productions yeah, yeah, yeah that's boxes, oprah yeah. oprah spelled backwards yes yes Oh my, oh, so, oh, my. I know. So incredible. Incredible. Another act beside what she did. Yeah. Wow. Now yeah. you yeah. have the pajamas going out to the kids. When did the idea of adding books to it happen? Or did you always add books to it from day one? It was books first. The pajamas were added after that. Oh, you added a second. Yes. Oh, yes. I, yes. I, I was reading stories. That. I was reading stories first. Yes. And, and you know, the sad part about it, Jen, it has to be this. It has to be that amongst those crying children that you would look out and see when you were reading the stories is because these kids were removed from what they did not probably perceive as a unfit home, but it was the only home they knew. And the court ordered these kids out of there, probably because of the misdeeds and the criminal activity of their parents. But you know what, children? 
I don't care if you have an axe murderer on your hands. The children somehow, they love the biological parent. Am I right? Yeah, they're they're always, you know, they always want to prove that they, you know, that they can make their parents happy and stay with their parents if they are the problem rather than, you know, understanding that's not their problem as a child. Right, and a lot of them get mistakenly blamed for yeah. the criminal yeah. acts of their parents. It's so sad, but the child has a natural inclination, if you will, of love for mom and dad no matter who they are. And sometimes mom and dad are not worthy of that love. Do you agree with me? Yeah, it's sad. It's very sad, but I've seen some. um, I've not seen what happens in most cases at the end of the day when the judges make decisions, but it's always, it always seemed to be that the children just wanted to go, quote, home. Boy, isn't that the truth? Oh my. So you wrote a book and your book is called Purpose, Passion, and Pajamas, How to Transform Your Life, Embrace the Human Connection, and lead with meaning. And that's exactly what you've done. This book that you have published is available anywhere. Books are sold among them. If I could just name a few, it's on Amazon, of course. Barnes & Noble, of course. It's on IndieBound.org. Books a million. Porchlight. And you have seen our guest today, ladies and gentlemen, Genevieve Paturo. You've seen her on Oprah's show, obviously, on the Hallmark Home and Family Show, Today Show, Good Morning America, The Early Show, CNN, Fox and Friends, O Magazine, and we all know whose magazine that is, (laughs) Forbes Magazine, and The Wall Street Journal. Lord Almighty, I I guess I just want to say that it comes down to the heart-voice connection, which is something you talk about and for those that will go to your website genevievepaturo.com you're going to mention the heart voice connection what is that that's what i've called now looking back that voice that spoke up in me and you know i often wonder how often was it trying to get out you know how many of us push back push aside push down little intuitive voices in us because it's you know it's uncomfortable or it's not something that we're prepared to listen to or that you know we've we've just learned to ignore because it would cause an upheaval in our life so it's but that's the guiding that's our north star that's our guiding voice and we need to listen to it and i i guessed that I probably had pushed that down if it had ever tried to speak to me before, because this time I heard it clearly and it wasn't loud, but it was very clear. And I think, I think some of us feel that it's happened before. We didn't pay attention. Now it's happening more. And sort of, sometimes we get a big knock on our head, you know, like look up here, I'm trying to talk to you (laughs) before we just pay attention to the lower heart voice. You say that one in six people age 35 to 54. Now that's that coveted age group that television focuses on. 
35 to 54. These are the people with money to buy what the sponsors are selling. And you don't, well, if you don't work in television, you're not aware of that. But 35 to 54 is a very important number in TV. And you say one in six people are unhappy with their career. Is it that many? Yes, I think we've seen especially since COVID, that number and numbers like it everywhere because it, you know, we got a wake up call with COVID, sort of a near death experience. We, it challenged our, our lives the way we built them. And moving forward, was this, if we were able to and survived and could move forward, was this the same way we wanted to move forward? And I think a lot of people, I've met many of them, they said no. They said, I need to make a change. And I think we just sort of got a wake Call. And your change is now leading you as an international speaker. And when you show up at A, B, or C country to give your speeches, what are you telling the people? Well, lots of things, including listen to your heart. That's our North Star. No matter how, no matter if you think you're too old, you're not. No matter if you think there's no support, there is. I'll be your cheerleader. If there's nobody else that's going to be your cheerleader, I'll be your cheerleader. And I know that that it's hard for some people to to sort of to give up, even if it's their own lifestyle, their own lifestyle. But if they're responsible for a family, it's difficult. I was not. So I am a jumper. I jump and then I figure out how to swim. A lot of people don't have that gene. They want to be more careful. And I listen, I can understand that because I did make a mess of things. Um, but I'm I'm a good cleaner upper too. So and I had a lot of help. I married a great guy, you know, just about that time. And you know, he he supported me and sort of tried to keep me grounded when I was losing it. But I understand that people have reasons for not following their heart. And then the longer you are cementing the life that you crafted to survive, the harder it is to listen to that little voice that's telling you, you wanted to be an art teacher. What happened to that? You know, and here, and here you are in the bank. You know, it, it, I understand that that sounds absurd, you know, to leave a job because you wanted to be an art teacher your whole life. But how long, you know, 30 years, how long are you going to continue? And are you going to sacrifice that, that light in you and, and that love? Because you don't realize how it changes the world, your family, your community, your colleagues, the greater good when you are living your purpose. And, and together we created a legacy for these children, you know, that legacy was started by that little girl's question and the number of people that heard her question through me. It was it was as if I was channeling her and I would never have never have guessed or known that that was a possibility. And I think that's what I want people to understand that it's more than a possibility. It's the right the right way to connect heart to heart with others. You say it's not the power of one. It's the power of one another that moves mountains and moves people. You could not have done your saying what you did without many people behind you. That's right, Rick. People would say, and you know, even I said before I started a pajama program, the power of one's amazing. And I would point out individuals, you know, that did it did something extraordinary by themselves. But I'm sure they would be the first ones to tell you what I've learned. It's not about one person. It's about sharing so that other people feel your your passion, feel your heart and 
and want to support you because if it was power of one, I'd be walking around Harlem with like Santa Claus with a sack of pajamas. And that's it. <laughs> okay. How about today, right now, as we speak, are the pajamas still rolling in? Yeah. Yeah, they are. Pajama program is 23 years old and 22 years old. And I passed the baton of executive director in after 20 years of running it because I said, you know what? I want to be founder, but I want to speak and coach and help teams and leaders understand purpose and legacy. And so I wanted to do that. So one of our board members who was the president of the board had said to me a couple of years ago, I would love to run pajama program if you ever are serious about writing your book and, you know, and speaking. And so she's running it and it's going well. Thank goodness. Everybody is growing and the children are getting their pajamas, you know, through the pandemic and everything. So I'm grateful to her and I'm grateful to have this opportunity to, I hope, be a cheerleader for those who, you know, are afraid that maybe they're alone. Now, do we have publishers, for example, donating books to the cause, maybe? Yes, many, many, many. And Scholastic is our lead a book publisher contributor and um, Carter's is the lead pajama manufacturer contributor. But um, there are so many that do and we're grateful for, for all of them. That is incredible. If somebody listening would like to do what Oprah said and not go bankrupt and hurt the family, but maybe send one pair of pajamas because we can all afford that. What what can they do? Go right onto the website, pajamaprogram.org, O-R-G. And everything stays local. So you can look at the tabs and pull downs and find where we talk about how you can help and how to have a drive. And you can donate one or rally your friends together in your neighborhood. That is remarkable. Now, as the program matures, if I could use that word, you started it, uh, I guess, over 20 years ago, have grown now adults today that were children back then come to you and said, Jen, I was one of your early recipients and now I'm a functioning adult that has my head screwed on right. I've got it together. Thanks to you and others who have helped me along the way. Have have you ever met with any of your early recipients that have thanked you now that they're an adult? Yes, a few. And one very special young lady was two. I have a picture of um, her holding up the pajamas I gave her. I'd go to her shelter to read to the children there. And she was holding up a little pair of pajamas. And I have a picture of her. And then in touch and over the years she came to the reading center got pajamas and books and when she was young enough we read to her and then when she got a little older she read to those that came with her at the shelter to our reading center and when she turned 18 she graduated from high school and she got accepted to college and i invited her to come and speak at our annual fundraiser. And if you can imagine the feeling in the audience when I first showed the picture of her too and introduced her and she walked on the stage as poised, graceful, beautiful young lady and she spoke, the place erupted in cheers. She she thanked us for the reading practice for her, the books that she wouldn't have had otherwise, the care and the comfort and for also having her reverse from being read to being one of those readers for the little ones who were in the shelter with her until she she got to be 18. It was a very, very emotional moment for all of us. And I'll never, ever forget that. She's in my heart forever. That's amazing. I have talked to others that have been in the orphanages, so to speak, uh, if I could use that.
that term, although there are many other terms one can use. And um, they stated to me that when you were 18 years of age, you became an adult. Sometimes, well, most of the time they said, it's not that you have a choice. Am I going to stay here or not? <laughs> it's like, goodbye. <laughs> We've got to give your bed to someone else. And then they're on their own. And I will say this. I've also heard them say that the orphanage was instrumental in giving them, helping them get a job. So it wasn't all bad, but people have to grow up uh, regardless of how they were raised and eventually take responsibility for themselves. And you were there just to boost their self-confidence along the way. And and that must make you feel good. I hope, you know, I, I thank my mom every day. She She's still with us. She's 88 years old. And whenever I tell her something or she has a reason to say something about my work and show me how proud she is, I, I always tell her it's because she she taught me what that bedtime is supposed to be like and, and how that's the foundation for children who are going to sleep after a day, knowing that they're loved and cared for, being able to share a secret or a fear or say something that they might not say in the light of day to the person they trust most. And also, they we knew as children that my mom would be there the next morning. There wasn't any doubt. And that stability, that comfort and love, that's what is wrapped up in those pajamas. And that's what, for some reason, I... And, I just knew in a moment, and that's what I hope those children felt when they received the pajamas. That's absolutely amazing. Were you shaking in your own boots at the time you quit your corporate job, thinking if I fail, uh, this could have drastic consequences, not for the children not receiving the gifts, because yes, that would, I'm sure, hurt you, but for your own bread and butter on the table existence, that could have harmed you. Did you worry about that? Oh, yeah. More than worry. Yes, it was very difficult. Um, very challenging times. Uh, I wouldn't let go of pajama program. I would have gone down with it. But thankfully, there's there are miracles from God, from the universe, from whatever you believe in. When you find your purpose and you, you sort of let it guide you, and it's especially when you're sharing it, things happen that you would never believe. And that's that's a whole other conversation. And it's in it's in my book, All the Miracles. And, and I know that it's not just for me. I know entrepreneurs, people who take chances will say the same thing. You know, if I didn't have the nerve to take a chance, these things wouldn't have happened that somehow miraculously showed up at the right time. <laughs> and that's what happens. That's what happens. Absolutely incredible. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, the book is entitled Purpose, Passion, and Pajamas. <laughs> I like that right there. Purpose, <laughs> Passion, and Pajamas. How to Transform Your Life, Embrace the Human Connection, and Lead with Meaning. And I'm going to interpret that to just say that you must have known instantly before you even started this, the business aspect of it, that you wanted all this to be a nonprofit. I didn't even know what a 501c3 was. I didn't know what it was going to be. But when boxes started to arrive at my little one bedroom and letters and cash, I realized that this these people trusted me and 
this wasn't didn't belong to me. This wasn't my little project. This belonged to the world. This belonged to the children. And I had to find a way to make it responsible, trusted, legitimate. And and that's that's when I realized it's it's bigger than just something that I can do. Boy, isn't that amazing? And did you ever uh, fathom the idea of perhaps getting a warehouse for yourself, or do you just still direct uh, ship them to your receivers, or how have you organized uh, all of the clutter, if if you don't mind my saying it, because you cannot live in a uh, a home with all of these these donations you're getting it it would be impossible it was for for um, for a while and then um you know i just begged people who had some space to donate it or to f- ask their friends and you know at the beginning we got donated space and we had volunteers go and we all just unpacked sorted and repacked and i dragged them to the post office and everyone else did the same until they got out to where they were going so it was definitely labor intensive, um, but fun. And it was progress. Boy, isn't that the truth? Uh, (laughs) That is just an amazing tale. And do you ever get tired of just telling the story worldwide since everybody wants to hear it and everybody uh, wants you on their show? No, I, I would never, never not tell the story if it can inspire one person. If it can, if it can, if you read my book and you've heard this my my talk with you, Rick, I've tried to say this was not easy, but there's no better way to live your life than to to share a feeling, share an experience that has moved you to action with others because of what happens when other people help. It changes everything in your life. It changes everything in everybody else's life who's been a part of this. And you hear it, they will tell you, they will thank you for sharing it and how it brings love to them and how they might have courage to do something now, to change a career, to change a circumstance, to lend a hand because it's, it's not important possible. If you have support and and I talk to people all day long and give them support privately and you know publicly like this, I will listen and help anyone. I will talk to you and I will tell you how I did it and I'm starting, you know, I'm starting to write a book about starting a nonprofit with Moxie because that's that's what I had and that's what you need. And if you have heart and moxie, I think that's a great combination. And what about the heart-voice connection? Is that included in all of that? That starts. That starts everything off. Your heart's talking to you. Boy, that is absolutely incredible. If somebody goes to your website, your personal website, GenevevePaturo.com, what are they going to find there? Is there a way they could drop you a line? Or should they go to Pajama, uh, the other Pajama website? What is that? If they want to find me. They can go to GenevievePaturo.com. Yes. And on the bottom is my email. They can just reach out. They can they can say hi that they heard our conversation and they can say they have time for a phone call. They can explain in the in email anything they want. I would love to hear from them. Absolutely. Give the pajama website again and tell everybody what is on there in simplified terms. Sure. It's Genevieve. Pituro.com. You can see what I speak about. You can see about the book. Um, you can see a short exercise to help you find your purpose and a little more. Some of the um, shows I was on, the Oprah show is there. So you can see 
you can see a little bit about what I've been doing in the last few years in addition to um, telling telling the story and sharing it everywhere I go. Right now, if they want to donate their one pair of pajamas, they can do that at the pajamaprogram.org uh, site? Yes, they can. And that's www.pajamaprogram.org, right? Yes. All right. What else are they going to find there when they go, if you could simplify that for them? Sure. They can see um, how we help children. They can see about the bedtime program that we're now doing for children who are able to understand a little bit more. They're a little older, maybe six, seven, eight, nine, ten. They can they can understand and because they want to sleep well and they want to feel good in the morning. A few little tricks for bedtime that'll make them relax in their pajamas with their story. So they can, you can, anyone who's interested can see the programs that we run. They can see the chapters where they are. They can communicate with the chapter president there. They can, they can just learn everything about the last 22 plus years. Incredible. Are there nights that you actually have a tear in your eye for the happiness that you've brought to others? Does, does it affect you emotionally? Absolutely. Um, sometimes I read parts of my book. Um, and when I speak, a lot of the times, especially with the Q&A, if I talk about the kids or read something from my book and our mission statement from early on that reminded me night after night when I couldn't sleep, why I was doing this. Yeah, I get choked up all the time. And you know, I tell my husband, I have to stop crying. And he says, no, you don't. Why? Why Why stop? Why stop the tears? Let them out. The world needs more more happy tears and, and tears of all kinds because other people will, will come you. And you have a good husband there. I'm not going to say where I learned that, but it was a very popular television <laughs> host that said it. She did, didn't she? Yep, and she, she was did, female, right. by the way. Yeah. <laughs> her, her name starts with a vowel. <laughs> Your boy, isn't that the truth? <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the book is called Purpose, Passion, and Pajamas. How to Transform Your Life, Embrace the Human Connection, and Lead with meaning. Our author that authored this book is Genevieve Paturo, and you reach her at her personal website, GenevievePaturo.com. And if you want to donate your one pair of pajamas or your children's book, is there any requirements that you're looking for for the kids' book? Um, I think you can see a lot of information on Pajama Program's website and an Amazon wish list. Um, so I think will help a lot and anybody can reach out and I can even make an introduction to the people at the pajama program who are doing all the, all the good work. So yeah, anybody can reach out to me or to chapter presidents if they don't find what they're looking for on either website. All right. I've got a question to ask you right now today. Are you ready? I don't know. Okay. <laughs> if this is the next 30 years of your life, is this enough? Now it is, yes. Boy, isn't that the truth? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> I would hope so, for heaven's sake. There's, let me see what's happening in New York. There's the Macy's Parade every year that we watch, and then there's Jen Paturo's... <laughs> 
<laughs> nonprofit organization. I don't know which one creates the excitement, but how about this? Both of them do, and both of them entertain, but one of the two of them really does delve deep down into something where you can truly be proud because the children, you know, Jen, it's not the children's fault. Please bear with me. Do you have anything to say about those poor kids? No, I agree. It's not their fault. They 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 try every day to be to be good because that's where they feel the problem stems. That's heartbreaking. So uh, I I wish I could take them all home. I wish I could, you know, have a, a little mini heaven where, where God or whoever they believe in comes and tells them they are loved and they did nothing wrong. But in lieu of that fantastical wish, I hope that every pajama embraces a child and gives them a little bit of a hug that that they might be missing. It's symbolic of love. Yes, it is. Amen. Wow. I'll tell you what. Ladies and gentlemen, my hat is off to this fabulous guest we have had today. www.genevievepaturo.com This is Rick Flynn speaking. It's been fun, but I've got to run. I want everybody to go out and get the book purpose passion and pajamas how to transform your life embrace the human connection and lead with meaning get on to youtube watch jen pataro and look at her appearance with oprah it will bring tears to your eyes the good that this lady has been giving to others with her nonprofit organization jen i can't thank you enough anything you'd like to say before we scoot on out the door today first thank you for the opportunity for me to share my story and again i am here if there's anyone who needs a little support or boost or just um, brainstorm let's you've put on the back burner let's bring it up to the front absolutely thank you everybody new shows every wednesday we'll be back with another one next wednesday and we'll see you later everyone Good night. I think this has been such a wonderful conversation, Rick. I I hope that all of your listeners will reach out, think about what they've been putting in the back burner and have a conversation with the ones in their lives. I'm happy to have a conversation with anyone. You've given us this door. We're opening it. So hopefully we can all share what really our purpose is telling us the next 30 years should be about. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. The preceding was a Rick Flynn production. This is your announcer, Chantal Marie speaking.